um, was between the four hosts, of course, and it focused on how the traditional Christmas movies all answer, the movies that we all love to watch, uh, how they all answer the question, what is Christmas all about? Another way to put that is, what is the spirit of Christmas? For many of us, we, we watch these movies year after year, and we watch them because they leave us feeling emotionally warm inside because they all tie up everything into a nice, neat bow at the end, right? Everything ends really well, but what do they, what do they really communicate? How do they really answer that question what is Christmas all about? Well, according to Charles Dickens uh, in A Christmas Carol and Frank Capra in It's a Wonderful Life and even Dr. Seuss in The Grinch That Stole Christmas, my personal favorite, um, <laughs> Christmas is all about being surrounded by friends. It's all about uh, being kind to others. And if you are kind to others, you're going to have a lot of friends. And if you're not, you won't. Ebenezer Scrooge is financially wealthy, but he is very, very poor relationally, while George Bailey is living paycheck to paycheck. But according to his brother, he's the richest man in town relationally. Grinch, of course, just needs a hug. Um, the bottom line is that all three, all three tell us that being alone is a mark of failure. Um, doing good things for others is a way to merit, or, or is, to, is a way to merit. We, we want to have more friends and we want to merit their favor because it, in doing so, that's our only hope. I mean, even angels like Clarence have to earn their wings. According to Rankin Bass, who put together Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Christmas is all about Santa. Um, they say we're to be excited because he's coming to town. Uh, he's making a list and checking it twice, and he's, he's been watching us all year which I don't know about you, but that's pretty creepy. Um, and he's kept track of all the good that we've done and all the bad that we've done. And fortunately for you and me, right, our good always outweighs our bad, no matter what we do, so we don't have to worry. We can just watch with anticipation. We look, look forward to him coming. We don't have to pout or cry. All is going to be well. Then you come to George Seton in Miracle on 34th Street, and Christmas is all about believing. Just believe. It doesn't matter what you believe in, just believe. Uh, the newer version um, tells us that you, know, you can believe a lie. That's still okay, because it's better to believe a lie that brings a smile than to, bring, or, or than to uh, believe a uh, a truth that brings a tear. And then we could, we could talk about Elf. 
We could talk about Home Alone. We could talk about all the number of the, the plethora of movies on Hallmark. Um, and the end is all the same, right? Every, everyone ends the same. It's all about change. It's all about, um, you know, Christmas is about love. Christmas is about being kind to others. It's about anti-consumerism. It's about humanitarianism. It's about tolerance and being surrounded by friends and family. It's all about Christmas cheer. And never fear if you're lacking in any of those things. Just have faith and let the, the season and its magic do its thing. It's that we watch. Only one gets the story right. Only one gets the, or answers the question correctly. Right? Charles Schultz. Charlie Brown Christmas. Charlie struggling. Right? Charlie always struggles. And he's struggling in this one as well. And no matter what he does, he just continues. No matter, he, he is involved, he, he's, all the trappings of Christmas are around him and he just continues to be depressed because he just doesn't understand it. And Lucy comes along as Lucy does and she just says, look, Charlie, all you need to do is get involved. And by that, she means you just need to do something. And why don't you direct the Christmas play? But actually, she's only saying what all of those other movies say. Right? It's about what we do. Just do something. That'll fix it. But her brother Linus comes along. He knows better. He has a better answer. He's got a different solution. He comes along to save the day, not only for Charlie, but for the rest of us. We've been inundated with these wrong messages over and over and over for a couple of months. And Linus simply quotes our passage from tonight. He reads from Luke 2 because he gets it. And he leaves us with hope. In our passage, I want us to look at this a text that he reads, and I want us to see three things. I want us to see this report of good news that we've already sung about, and I want, to see, I want us to see the receiving of that good news, and then I want us to see the response to that good news. And uh, let's pray before we begin. Father, would you in these moments speak to our hearts and use um, the room that you uh, create by driving the doubt of dark away to plant and cultivate a new affection for Jesus. Would you give us a greater joy that we had than, than, than we had when we came in? May it be both deep and lasting. I desire to do something good for you tonight, but I Admit that I am needy and weak, in need of your assistance and support and comfort and strength and holiness, that I might be a pure channel of your grace. So would you allow that? Would you grant me what I need? And would you help me not to treat excellent manner in a defective way or to bear a broken testimony to so worthy a Redeemer? And I pray these things for the sake of Christ and His church. Amen. Well, as Linus says, and as we read in the text, Christmas is about great news of great joy. And, and the shepherds needed that great news. 
there, there are arguments about uh, who they were, about um, there are some that believe that the, the reputation that they developed wasn't or hasn't been really fair. And they base that on the fact that there are numerous references throughout Scripture that say that, um, including Christ's role as great shepherd, that they weren't as a, as motley a crew uh, as we've as as we believe them to be, or as they they're, they're described. They're just ordinary majority that agree they were a motley crew, and due to their ongoing nature of the work that they were doing, uh, they're constantly being around sick and dead animals, that they were always ceremonially unclean, and then they're, they, they weren't above taking um, other shepherd's sheep and then lying about it, so they were thieves and liars, and so their reputation, again, in the minds of some, is that they were the low of the low. They were outcasts, they were outsiders, they were overlooked, they were forgotten, and life was basically at a dead end. But regardless of which position you take, the bottom line is that the angels appeared to the shepherds because, again, regardless of whether they were just ordinary average guys or they were thieves and liars, they were sinners. And they needed, regardless of their uh, social or socioeconomic status and standing, they needed good news. They needed joy in their lives. They were not at peace with God. They were not at peace with one another. They were not at peace within themselves. And what they heard that night was news for them. It was actually news for all of God's people. Jesus had come in the form of a baby for Jew and Gentile alike. All who would call upon the name of the Lord. But that announcement wasn't simply corporate in nature, though it was corporate in nature, it was also individual. The shepherds heard news, it was for them personally, for them individually. And what was that good news of great joy? Verse 11 tells us, for unto you, they heard the angels, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news was not that they had... Uh, They had to go and do something. The the good news was that something had been done for them. It wasn't good news that they needed to do something to change their course. A baby had been born for them. And that baby was Jesus, a Savior who was Christ the Lord. It was a Savior who was born for them because as Gabriel told Joseph, He would save His people from their sins. It was matter of fact. He would grow up and He would live, and He would die as a substitute on behalf of His people. He would rescue and salvage His people from their corruption. He would cleanse them of their guilt. He would set them free from their bondage. He would take the full weight of God's wrath that they deserved upon Himself. Their sin would be placed upon Him. His perfect righteousness would be placed upon them and credited to their account. And He would satisfy their debt in full, paying it on their behalf, and then earning their standing as holy and blameless in God's sight. 
He was called Christ because He was the Anointed One. He was the Messiah, the long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah, that warrior king that we've already talked about this season. He would deliver His people from their enemies and would do so powerfully, but yet tenderly and mercifully as a suffering servant who would lay down His life and give of Himself that His people might have freedom. He was the one who would make God known. He would bring God near. He would make God approachable. And He was also called Lord because He was and is God who rules and reigns the universe, rules and reigns over His creation. He upholds and sustains everything by the word of His power and is therefore the only one worthy of honor, the only one worthy of worship, the only worthy one to sit upon the eternal throne. It's before Him alone that every knee would and will bow. He is the only one whom every tongue will confess. He alone is a worthy master who's worthy of submission and honor and service. But notice that news didn't stop there. Verse 14, it says, "Glory." the angel said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. God alone was to be glorified because God alone was capable of providing the peace that they needed. God alone was able through this baby to bring about peace between them and God, between them and others, and within themselves. And it was being offered to them, not because they had earned it in any way, they hadn't mer- merited this gift of peace. The peace would be theirs based upon His own love and mercy. He had chosen to make it available to them. He had chosen to turn His face toward them and to be gracious to them. It was according to His pleasure and purpose, the kind intention of His will, to bless them. And so you can imagine this hearing this blessing, hearing this announcement that was so good that they left immediately. They left immediately to see for themselves exactly what the angel was talking about. And notice they didn't go to see if the thing had happened. They went to see the thing that happened. There was no question in their minds. They had received the announcement and they believed what God had said through the angel. And when they arrived, they found the baby lying in a manger just as the angel had said and they were not surprised. It was an expectation they had. And unable to control their excitement, they began to immediately share with everybody around. We're not sure who all gathered, but there are others that have gathered around and they began sharing the story of what happened And everyone that was there was filled with this awe and wonder of what was taking place. And notice what Mary does. Mary's overwhelmed by it all. In verse 19, Mary's sitting back and she's treasuring up. She treasured up all of these things in her heart, pondering them. She's taking all of this in, looking around, listening And holding on to it by faith, she's plumbing the depths of the last two years. 
She's going back and she's thinking and remembering about Gabriel's encounter, her own, her own encounter with Gabriel, her, Joseph's encounter with Gabriel, Elizabeth's encounter with Gabriel. She's thinking about Zechariah, or not Elizabeth's encounter with Gabriel, Zechariah's encounter with Gabriel, but she's thinking about the baby leaping inside of Elizabeth. She's thinking about the birth of John. She's thinking about the last 12 hours. She's listening to the, the shepherds tell this story in real time. And speaking of the shepherds, notice their response. Having received it and believed and gone. But now look, look at verse 20. It says, then after all this goes on, the shepherds returned. It's, it's very matter of fact, very simple, but they returned. What does that mean? It doesn't seem like much, but it is very significant because after the announcement and after seeing the sign, after sharing their, their, their story, they returned and went right back where they were before. Their circumstances didn't change. Their standing and status, at least in, in the eyes of the world, hadn't changed. Their day-to-day -day routines were going to be the same. They continued to live their, either their ordinary, average, working-class lives, or they continued to be outcasts and forgotten. But their, but their lives, either way, were no longer at a dead end. Because now they had peace, they had hope, they had joy. It all emanated from the love of God that He had expressed toward them. It was made manifest through this gift that had been given to them, a Savior who was Christ the Lord, born for them. Right? Their greatest need had been met. And again, look how they returned. They did just return, but look how they returned. They glorified and praised God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Right, this experience affected them to their very core. They're amazed and astonished at what had been done for them. To borrow the words of one writer, they had been caught up wholly. Okay? Their thinking was convinced, their feelings captivated, and their will gladly surrendered. They had heard the good news, but they had received the good news, and the natural response was to worship. Praise and thanksgiving for what God had done. We say this often, good theology led to doxology. And as limited as their theology was, and their understanding was, it led to praise and thanksgiving of the Lord, and to the Lord. And this, of course, pleased the Lord, because their joy and His glory, our joy and His glory are, are, are tied together. I want us to think about this. Had the announcement been, been a call for them to go and do something like most evangelical sermons today, there's been very little amazement and no worship. But because the announcement was something that had been done for them, worship, they could not contain themselves. They had to worship. The king. 
Now, there are three things I want us to consider tonight. I didn't go into it back when we touched upon it, but I, I, would, I would like to encourage us all to do what Mary did this coming week. Um, listen to the story, take it all in slowly, and ponder it. It's a great word. Basically means to ruminate. So it's cow language, right? Uh, we're, we're to take it all in, chew on it, let it settle, bring it back up, and chew on it some more. Over and over. Considering the story. Being willing, right, to, to think about what we've always thought and, and known but at the same time, to seek to understand it more fully, to try to take it all in. And as, we, as I mentioned last week, that as we do that, my prayer has been and will be that we will develop, in the words of Sinclair Ferguson, that, that expulsive power of a new affection for the Lord Jesus. It's, that somehow we would experience a deeper, more abiding joy because of that, because of Him. Secondly, I pray that through the remainder of the season also that we would be reminded and astonished that despite the fact that God had every right to leave us in our sin and to punish us for our sin, He loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son, the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, who willingly emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Brothers and sisters, if we could have done anything, if we, no, no matter how small, if we could have done anything to save ourselves, if we could have done anything to justify ourselves, how could we ever think that God would have taken on flesh for the purpose of dying? It should tell us that we can't do anything. Christ took on flesh, lived on our behalf, died in our place, because that was, in fact, the only thing that would satisfy God's wrath and save us from our sins. I said this last week, there's nothing to be added to subtracted from or substituted for his death. And that means any gift that we might receive next week pales in comparison to the gift of salvation that we've already received in Christ. Actually, the Lord Jesus himself is our greatest gift in whom all other gifts and through whom all other gifts are given and received. We've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We lack nothing. I 
Those blessings include forgiveness and redemption and adoption and sanctification and glorification, just to name a few. In the words of William Chatterton Dix, why lies he in such mean a state where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian, fear. For sinners here, the silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me and for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh. The babe, the son of Mary. To summarize Isaiah in Isaiah 53, brothers and sisters, in the words of Isaiah, behold our promised, rejected, suffering, obedient, successful servant. Born for you and me. And finally, people around us, people all around me, all around you, family, co-workers, neighbors, and strangers, all need good news today. They need joy in their lives. They need some news that will allow them to jump up and down for joy in triumph, regardless of the circumstances that they may be in. Illness, disease, and death, and divorce, and abuse, and hatred, and confusion, and loneliness, and depression, and anxiety, and fear, and hopelessness all abound. And you would think the hope of the holidays, right, would, would help and bring a brief respite, but, but they don't. The holidays don't help. Unfortunately, the world's solution, actually the holidays in many cases make things worse because the world's solution is to simply place responsibility back squarely on the shoulders of men and women as if the problem isn't that much of a big deal. The problem isn't that severe and as if they have and we have the power to fix it. And the problem is our, our fixes are not only lacking, they're temporary. Right? The repetitive message is just love this. Be more tolerant. Make better decisions. Be more righteous. Reject materialism and consumerism. Focus on others rather than yourself. Spend time with family and friends. And all those things are good in and of themselves. Don't get me wrong. There's not bad advice in, in, in those things. The problem is they're not going to fully satisfy us. They don't bring the satisfaction that you and I need and our friends and family need. It's really in the manner in which, it's, in which the advice is given, it's really just more bad news. Because the fix is flawed. Nothing we in and of ourselves ever do, nothing we do ever creates and maintains the peace and joy that we need and that we long for. Human effort falls short period. So my hope is that we take every opportunity that we're graciously given by the Lord throughout these next couple of weeks to make known what has been done, not what we must do. There's a life-changing message for those who need it. 
Let's share what has been told to us concerning this child. For unto us has been born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And He will save His people. His name is Jesus, and He will save His people from their sins. That is good news. Let's pray together.